In today's Conquering Codependency, God's Way, what is a narcissist? Let's ask an expert. Ready? Let's do this. Thompson, founder of Treasured Ministries, and whether you're listening today um, through our podcast or our YouTube channel, I want to just tell you a big hello and uh, send you a big hug. I'm glad that you are here. I'm super excited about sharing this content with you today. Uh, my good friend, Dr. Michelle Bingson, uh, talked to me and I said, hey, I'd love to have you on the show uh, to interview you because you are an expert um, on what exactly is a narcissist. It's this term that we're kind of throwing around these days. And Dr. Michelle said, hey, why don't you come on my podcast and interview me? And I was like, oh, I'm so honored and I would love to do that. And so, uh, so I interviewed her on her podcast. It's up on her YouTube channel. And then she was gracious enough to let us share that content here. I cannot express to you how much I love every resource uh, that Dr. Michelle has written. Dr. Michelle Bingson is a board-certified neuropsychologist and the award-winning author of Hope Prevails and Breaking Anxiety's Grip. And now, on to my interview with Dr. Michelle. You know, awareness is so key. And so today, if you watch this message and you know somebody that would be helped by this uh, teaching, um, share it so that, so that we can expand that awareness so that every woman can keep Almighty God first and walk in freedom from codependency. Hey friends, in recent years, it seems like people have become a lot more familiar with the terms narcissism and narcissist, especially as a component of abusive situations. But while there's a lot of information out there, not all of it is accurate. So I wanted to share my perspective as a board-certified clinical neuropsychologist. So in today's episode, we're going to be discussing how to spot the narcissist in your life. Welcome back to your hope-filled perspective, where it's always our goal to restore hope, renew minds, and empower listeners to live in their God-given identity. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Bankson, and I'm glad that you've tuned in this week because today we're talking about how to spot the narcissist in your life. But before we get started with the conversation, I want to remind us of a scripture out of James 1 verses 19 through 20 that says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That would be essentially the opposite of a narcissist. Today, we're going to shake things up a little bit. My friend, Aileen Thompson, founder of Treasure Ministries. We've had her on the podcast before. I've been on her podcast. She's going to be joining me so that we can talk all things narcissism. And I asked her to come on to help carry this conversation. So Aileen, I'm so glad you're with us today. 
Well, I'm just so honored to be here, Masha. I just love the work that you're doing. And uh, as a as a founder and president of a ministry that ministers to women, um, we just so love sharing your resources uh, with our women. So thank you for all you do. I'm honored to be here and excited to learn more by interviewing you. This is going to be fun. I love shaking it up. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. All right. So let's, let's just go ahead and, and dive in. What is narcissism? Well, narcissism is technically a clinical term. Okay. In the field of psychology, there is what is called a narcissistic personality disorder. And these are signs and symptoms that constellate a person's personality. Now, you can have narcissistic tendencies and traits without ever being diagnosable. But essentially, the narcissist is someone who loves themselves most of all. And they believe that they're the center of the universe and no one else matters. In essence, they worship themselves. But it's not always easy to spot a narcissist because they also tend to be rather gregarious, outgoing, charming, charismatic, until mm. you get to really know them interpersonally. Gotcha. Now, this is a clinical term, but the key things to keep in mind is that someone who has a narcissistic personality disorder, they almost always exhibit an inflated self importance, arrogance, pride, vanity, a lack of empathy, and a lack of self-awareness. But like I said, until you really get into a relationship with them, you may not recognize that because they are so charming. Gotcha. So there's like a, a shiny exterior that is um, that is attractive on a worldly perspective. Um, but but that the essential core are those traits that you mentioned. Um, but I think it is important, like you just said, it's it's a clinical term, meaning that it's something that's diagnosed like a split personality disorder or all those sorts of things. Is that yep. right? Yep. But okay. it's a personality disorder. And the, the key thing to keep in mind about that is that of all the psychological mental health diagnoses that they are, the personality disorders are the most ingrained and they are the most resistant to treatment because it is their core personality. So whether we're talking narcissistic personality disorder, obsessive compulsive personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, dependent personality, they are that way. That's ingrained in their personality and they don't think there's anything wrong with them. So they're not eager to participate in therapy. They don't wow. see a need to change. And so individuals with personality disorders are really difficult. First, to engage in therapy and second, to treat, but especially the narcissist. Mm -hmm. So I have a question. I When I think of narcissists, a man just pops into my head. I, I Are all narcissists men no the majority of narcissists that we know about in history are men 
but I have met many narcissistic women and they are just as difficult to deal with, especially in a female to female relationship. It could be as a coach or a mentor or a mother. So mm -hmm. there are plenty of people who have narcissistic personality disorder and they are women, but we tend to hear about the situations where they're men where they're men. That's interesting that we don't hear as much about women, but I love that you brought that up um, because, you know, we tend to be more on guard against maybe narcissists in men than we do uh, in women. And so kind of going along with that, does abuse by a narcissist only occur between a husband and a wife in a marriage yeah. No, you can see abuse. That's very common. And that's where we recognize it probably most easily because of the incidence of domestic abuse. But there, there is just as likely a chance that you're going to be involved in a narcissistic relationship in the work environment, in mm -hmm. your extracurricular activities with coaches and mentors mm -hmm. in the business world narcissists tend to do very well in the business world because they've got this ego. They are not really affected by rejection. They're just going to go out and try harder and, and get more. And so right. that's where we see it outside of the interpersonal relationship between a man and a woman. But it's more difficult sometimes in a marital relationship because we have that covenant commitment so it's mm. harder to walk away from a narcissist who's a spouse than a narcissist who's a boss or a business partner. Yes, especially, um, you know, and I'm sure many women listening today, you, you know, you want to do right by God and, and you want to do the right thing. And so um, that's just a difficult uh, situation to, to be in. How frequently would you say are women the target of domestic abuse? Our latest statistics suggest that one in three women are a victim of domestic abuse. No. One in three. No. And that that's equivalent to about no. 1.6 million women in the United States between 16 and 74 years of age. So domestic abuse is so common that if you were sitting in Bible study at a table of four, there's a good chance one of the women in there is currently or has been a victim of domestic abuse. I am blown away. That's uh, why this conversation is so important so yeah. that we can help people recognize it, spot it, and then know what to do about it. Gosh, I had no, I had no idea. I had no idea. So I'm, I'm just blown away. That is, that is incredible. And so really, you know, if you're listening today, you need to share the Hope Filled Perspective podcast. YouTube. We need to share this um, with women because um, I, I mean, I didn't know that. And I think just bringing awareness to this is, is so important. So, so in your ministry in treasured ministries in the treasured ministries tribe, you probably have quite a few women who either have been or are currently the victim of domestic abuse. And I want to bring this up. We've done several episodes on my podcast recently about 
domestic abuse and domestic violence. But frequently women will say, well, it's not domestic abuse because he didn't hit me. Mm-hmm. You do not have to be physically harmed for it to be considered abuse. Domestic abuse is any kind of abuse, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, sexual abuse within a marital relationship. Yes. Yes. Oh, I hope every woman heard that. Um, and it's, it's a lot easier when those scars sit behind the surface because you feel like there's not validation to that. Um, but if Dr. Michelle says it's so, then it is so. <laughs> but here's the thing to keep in mind. Just like we said, not all narcissists are men. I also want our listeners to hear that not all domestic abusers are men. There are plenty of women who are the abusers in their domestic relationship. We wow. just don't hear about it as often, right? but it right. does happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. And that that's good to keep in mind. That's good to keep in mind. So, so, and you, you kind of mentioned this before, but it's, it's, be- narcissism has become this pop psychology term that's been used and shared all over social media. I've done it on my YouTube channel. Um, and so is abuse by a narcissist narcissistic abuse and we've kind of talked about this or domestic abuse or is it is it one in the same and and what's the difference between the two domestic abuse occurs within an intimate relationship okay the term narcissistic abuse is a pop psychology term there's not a clinical term narcissistic abuse but it would okay. be considered abuse at the hands of a narcissist. Okay. But when we're talking domestic abuse, we're talking about the physical, mental, emotional tactics that one uses to assert power and keep control of someone in a relationship. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. And so then that person could be a narcissist. Could be, but not but necessarily. could also not be. Like if there's any sort of using control inside of an intimate relationship, which could be narcissism, that is considered, uh, that is considered domestic abuse. And so the domestic part is sort of the location of it, just like spiritual abuse would be using um, religion or a title in church or whatever to, to abuse or to cause shame um, and to control some, somebody else. So that, that's a good clarification. Um, What, so what is the impact and effect of narcissism inside that domestic intimate partner relationship? What happens? The narcissist is always trying to exert control, power, influence, and their tactics of doing so ultimately end up typically having the result that the partner that they are exerting their control over really begins to question themselves and everything that they thought to be true. They experience guilt and shame because the narcissist is trying to get them to believe that everything is their fault. You see, the narcissist blames everybody else and accepts 
no responsibility. They are all about getting the credit, but taking none of the blame. So when they're exerting power and control, they're guilting and shaming their victim. And as a result, the victim ends up with decreased self-esteem, inability to trust in other relationships, social isolation, because there's that embarrassment or shame that they are with this person. And they really begin to doubt not only themselves, but what they believe. And for some, they will doubt whether or not God really loves them, if God would allow them to be in such an abusive relationship. Yeah. 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 What, um, when they exert their control, it, um, we think of like big, powerful ways, like physical abuse or even saying ugly things, but then is it also in the little itty bitty every day, like all the, you know, just any way that they can get, um, control. I'm trying to think of a good example and you probably have some, but, just any way they can grab um, that control um, and doing it in little ways. I mean, is it kind of the gamut of it? It can start off in subtle ways, like telling their partner, I don't like your hair blonde. I, I liked it better when you were a brunette. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So their partner then, in order to fulfill the wishes and to please the narcissist will do things like go and change their hair color. They'll exert control over telling them what they're allowed to wear Mm -hmm. and when and where, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't like it when, when your legs are showing, you you need to wear pants out in public. They Mm -hmm. can manipulate and control the food that their partner eats or is exposed to. They might put them on an exercise regimen so that they're eye candy and they don't gain weight. So they look good, again, fulfilling the pride and the ego of the narcissist. But sometimes the narcissist control becomes more overt in that they'll do things like control someone's access to their text messages or their emails or access to their phone to call family and friends who might be supportive right they'll get hold of the phone and erase messages so that they're not even there to the point that then control can escalate to keeping someone housebound not letting them leave the house taking control of the credit cards the bank statement the car and the keys to the car so Mm -hmm. we have all different levels of abuse but usually it starts very small in something that you would think, oh, well, that's so sweet. He just, he likes it when I look pretty for him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then it escalates to the point that it truly is control. Right, right, right. So yeah, so that's a good thing um, to, to, to just to be aware of. I mean, even if you're, if you're dating somebody um, and, and in the workplace and in everywhere else, like you're, like you're talking about. So, um, so we, we've kind of talked about this, um, but you know, physical abuse, there's evidence of that. And so the, um, the good in that is that there's validation that you can see the, the emotional abuse is deeper. It's the, the soul wounds 
But what does that look like? So if if there's a woman listening today and she's like, maybe this is happening, how would you tell her? What does that look like? Or if there's a friend listening, she has another friend that's going through this. What does it look like? Yeah, women often think that they're not being abused if someone doesn't lay a hand on them, if they don't threaten violence. But the emotional abuse is just as damaging, but harder to pick up on. So examples of the way that we might identify emotional abuse is name calling, threatening, isolating someone so they've got less contact with the support system, blaming them or whatever happened in a certain situation, humiliating them, damaging their property. All of these are indications of abuse. It's just not as apparent as if you have bruises on your arm. Mm. And the, the you mentioned before the whole um, questioning, the mind games, um, uh, you know, that I'm sure like plays into all that. For example, if he if he, you may not think, oh, well, he hurt this, or maybe he hides your computer cord so you can't charge your computer. And maybe you don't, and then you kind of rationalize it or whatever. But really, it is a form of mental abuse, right? Because it's like playing, playing with your head. Is that correct? It absolutely is. Yeah. Right. And that's why it makes the victim begin to question themselves and everything they believed because the narcissist is very convincing. You know, going back to what we said in the very beginning, they can be very charming and charismatic and the life of the party. And so they use those same social skills to convince their victim that they're right and the victim is wrong. No, the victim wow. understood it. That's not how I meant it. You took it the wrong way. It's using yeah. that blame game right. to convinced the other person that they were wrong while the narcissist doesn't take any responsibility. Wow. Wow. So let's, so, so this is a big question. Um, let's talk about the impact of the church and faith in relationship to domestic abuse. Let's do this. Let's do it. You know, <laughs> It's difficult sometimes because within the church environment, you know, the one of the most often cited commands that God gives us in the Bible is to trust him. He wants us to believe in him and to trust him. And I think as human beings, that's where we want to be with other people as well. We want to trust the intentions, especially other Christians and Christ followers. We want to believe that because they know Jesus, they're not going to be out to hurt us or to harm us. Yes, yes. In the church setting, I think the church is getting much better at being able to handle mental health issues. But I know that a lot of victims and um, sufferers of mental health issues get very frustrated with the church because they don't handle things like depression or anxiety or um, sexual behavior. They, there's all these areas where the church has historically not been particularly equipped to address it. 
And while I think they're improving, I also think we have to be careful about setting up an expectation that all pastors are not only going to be theologians and know the scriptures, but they're also going to be able to diagnose and treat mental health issues. Right. We wouldn't expect them to do that any more than we would expect them to come and fix a clogged toilet. Like pastors are not plumbers usually by trade, so they don't know how That's to do good. that. That's good. That's really we good. And yeah. teach church staff how to look for warning signs so that they can help their congregation get the help that they need. We yeah. need to be teaching pastors and ministry leaders of signs and symptoms to look at out for mm -hmm. so that they can you know be aware the problem when you're dealing with a narcissist within a church congregation again is they're so charming they they know what to say to get people on their side and if you've got a couple within the church and let's say the husband is a narcissist and the wife has become the victim it can be really hard for the wife to understand why can't anybody else see this? Why can't they see what's really going on? He's not really like this. But then I have to say, but go back to the person that you thought they were in the right. beginning of your relationship. You didn't see it either. So right. sometimes it's really difficult for church and ministry leaders to pick up on that because they're not in an intimate relationship where the narcissist is trying to control them. So they're not going to see the manipulation tactics. Right. But we need right. to teach our lay ministers, our biblical counselors, our church leaders what to look for so that yeah. they can help their people get the appropriate help. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I love I love the fact that you said that the church is, you know, is is coming a long way with that. That's that's really great. Um that that's really wonderful to hear. And I would imagine that potentially much like a narcissist would thrive in the business community that potentially um their uh successful at church on elder boards ahead of this committee. I mean, just um, with, with the titles. And um, so I think that we have to just be aware that not everyone with a church title um, or who plays the part should just get a pass. Like you said, this person is a Christian and they, you know, then they're, they're just going to love Jesus and and it's going to be candy canes and lollipops if you love Jesus. <laughs> I mean, we need to recognize that even our church leaders struggle with sin and sinful behavior. You know, yeah. we have an awful lot of pastors who struggle with pornography and addiction. They yeah. are just people being used by God, but they are as imperfect as their congregation. So we get into trouble sometimes when we idolize those within the church that have titles and status, and we forget that behind closed doors, they have their own struggles that they have to account to God for. Yes. Amen. And I, I was just reading this morning in Galatians chapter two, that Paul, when he was in, he, uh, of course, Peter was not a narcissist, but he was going against Peter uh, about uh, the whole er issue of circumcision. And he said, um, you know, he, he basically said, God plays no favorites. 
even with the pillars, the, the pillars of the faith. So, so we need to remember that. Um, not and that, only does he not play favorites, but those who are in leadership positions will be held more accountable for their behavior because they are shepherding a flock. Preachers right. and teachers are held to a higher standard by God. Right, right. Yes, yes, that's a great reminder. That's a great reminder. And and good for us to hear that um, we should never judge our good shepherd because of what happened with a false shepherd or um or sheep in with clothing or or whatever but um but yeah and that that's great too that the church is is gaining more light on this topic um so that so that women can be helped and understood and like you say so so that you can see um and and spot it when when it's happening um can so when somebody has been in um abuse can we pray away um, the effects of and the aftermath of abuse? You know, I believe that God can do a miracle at any moment. I believe that he can heal a heart with just a breath or just a flick of his pinky. But mm -hmm. he also invites us into that healing process through yeah. prayer, through Bible study. Mm -hmm. But sometimes abuse has had such far-reaching effects that while being in the church and by having a relationship with God and being in the word and praying are all very valuable, sometimes we need counselors and therapists to guide us through some of the other stages of the healing process. But I think God could do any healing in a fraction of a moment if he wanted to. But sometimes when he does that, we don't learn as much about ourselves or as about him as we do when we have to go through the healing journey. Amen. Amen. I think about um, Pharaoh who, I mean, the Bible doesn't say he's a narcissist, but it certainly was about him. And, <laughs> it was. and, and God rescued the Israelites, took care of Pharaoh. And then it says, and I think it's Exodus 13, he took them in a roundabout way so that when they faced a battle, they would not return back to Egypt. And the roundabout way was the wilderness, and it was um, thirst and hunger, and you know, and all this time, God is deepening their dependence because while they left Egypt, Egypt still had to get out of them that you know that mentality there. And but God is so faithful, and freedom is His is his goal. And so we can, we can trust the process and, uh, and his kindness and his, his goodness, um, through that. But I love that you brought that out because I would imagine a woman would feel like I'm ready to get over this and how could I have been so stupid and, you know, and all that sort of stuff, um, instead of just trusting God and, and trusting the process and, and his goodness and, and, and doing the work, doing the work, like you say. So, so, but let's talk about this. So what are narcissistic traits so that we can be better equipped to, to spot them for our friends, for ourselves? Hey, the, these are things we need to share with our kids, right? I mean, wow. uh, what are traits? Now, there's a difference. There are what we call overt traits and 
covert traits. Okay. Covert traits are like those obvious in your face, things like gaslighting, controlling your belongings, controlling your activity. Those are, those are pretty overt. Whereas covert traits are things that we might not pick up on, but are part of the narcissist MO, like their excessive need for attention and for flattery and for entitlement. So I've got a list of a, a lot of traits that you might see in a narcissist, but just like any psychological or mental health condition, you're never going to see exactly the same constellation between two people because we're all individuals. But it's things like the narcissist is always preoccupied with self. They have a really grandiose sense of self. They're the ones in the party who are going to be telling the stories that are so interesting because they made it through the most horrific circumstance on top. They, you know, they're the ones who wrestled the bear and won. And the stories are just so interesting that you are captivated, but they thrive on you being captivated because then they get you because then you're hooked and you want more. Right. They always put themselves at the center of everyone else's story. So even when you might be sharing about something yeah. that you did, they're going to then turn around and say, oh, but you should hear how it turned out in my situation. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that was a breakthrough moment. I could see it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank <laughs> <you>, Michelle. <laughs> now, like I said, they're really charming, but at the root of everything the narcissist does is pride and a need for control. That's why they do so well in business because they will go to great lengths to be able to control situations to work in their favor. And they tend to make great businessmen. Mm -hmm. They just don't tend to make very good best friends or spouses because they are so capable at manipulating to get right. what they want. Right. Now, they also tend to be very conflict laden with other people. So there will be conflict, especially with an intimate partner, but they tend to only coexist with those that tend to be more emotionally submissive and submissive minded. Right. That's what sets up such a difficult dynamic. Narcissists love to have relationships with people pleasers and with people who are codependent because mm -hmm. they can control. And those are the type of people who are more likely to do what the narcissist says and not try to buck the system. Right, right, right. Or just be quiet, let them be right all the time. Let them control the dinner conversation. Let them just- Control the checkbook. Control the checkbook. Yeah, all, all of that, all of that. Um, you, you mentioned gaslighting and that I, I feel like gaslighting is another term that I hear a lot on YouTube that I, you know, all of that. But let's let's get clinical and real. What is gaslighting? Gaslighting is when someone creates a false narrative, meaning 
they rewrite the history in order to make the victim question their own judgment and reality. All right. So, so the, narcissist, the narcissist says, well, if only you hadn't done X, Y, and Z, then I wouldn't have needed to do A, B, and C. Their victim says, but, but I didn't do that. Mm -hmm. I didn't do that. And the narcissist will rewrite, retell the story and mm -hmm. be so convincing that the victim is left going, but that's, that's not how I remember it, but maybe, right. maybe I was wrong in what I was thinking there. Right. So right. by rewriting the history, rewriting the narrative, the impact that it has then on the victim is that they begin to question everything. And the narcissist is so convincing that when that narrative comes out in another situation, like with the spouse's family, people believe the narcissist version of the story and doesn't believe the victim which is why wow. then it's so difficult to escape a relationship with a narcissist because nobody believes the victim. They believe this very convincing person who changes mm -hmm. the story to fit their agenda. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, when I, I, I've heard um, from women who've been involved in that, you know, they say, well, this person always gets away with it. And that goes right along with what you're saying, that they're so good at presenting a certain image or a story um, that, that they get away with it. And I wonder if in that gaslighting scenario where the story is rewritten, so it's where the story is rewritten, where the victim is at fault. Yes. Is that right? And so they don't take any blame or, or they... Or do they blame other people? Or is gaslighting always the victim is at fault? Like you rewrite the stories, the victim is at it's fault. It's usually that the victim is at fault. You okay. know, I wouldn't have hit you had you not made me angry because you didn't balance the checkbook, right? Something like that. So the narcissist turns it around and their mm -hmm. victim is left holding the blame and they feel like, were we in the same situation? Because that's not how I remember it. Yeah. And they've been beaten down and beaten down and beaten down to the point that they don't trust their own reality anymore. Wow. Which is more, it, is it more mental? Another example of mental abuse then, because you're so confused, you're just questioning yes. everything. And, and then when you start to question things, then you start to question you're like, did I hear from God? And did I, you know, is God really telling me to do this? And, and he is the compass that is going to, you know, be there for you. But then you start questioning everything and everything gets cloudy and confusing and, um, and, and, and you're trapped, you're trapped. And, I mean, that's and that's where the victim, because they feel so much guilt and shame and embarrassment, the, the good narcissist will even bring it to the point of saying, you know, well, God's not going to be able to forgive you for that. Look what you did to me. Look what you did to me. Now, when we're trying to spot a narcissist, we have to go back to a godly covenant. 
when mm-hmm. when God established relationship, it was based on a perfect love. Mm-hmm. Love bears all things. Love forgives all things. You know, right. it's going back to the scriptures of what we know. In 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, it says, love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. It doesn't brag. It's not arrogant. It does not act become unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. It doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, never fails. Mm-hmm. And you can pretty much then if you are in a relationship and you're wondering, am I, am I dealing with an abuser? Am I dealing with someone with narcissism? Go down that list and see where they fall because a godly relationship is going to be looking out for your best interest, not their best interest. That is a wow moment. That is so powerful. We don't look to what the world says is love or what the world says is shiny. You look at the actions. Right. The actions, not what somebody is saying to you or a gift that they may have bought you to try to get them back into the loop. You look at the actions and you hold up that truth. And that is your plumb line. It is. That is powerful, Michelle. I can't do it because we're virtual. But if you were right here, I would give you a high five and a big old hug. (laughs) That is so powerful. That is great. That is great. All right. So, um, so with with a narcissist, um, is this something that they have control over? Like the the way that they act. I mean, do they like you know? Do they learn it from parentals, or do, or do they like? How does one become this? narcissist or is it a choice or is it like you know what 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 are like what makes somebody hurt like because you know it's not even hurting somebody Michelle it's it's hurting and not even they don't care care. they they don't even care it's like they almost get energy out of hurting somebody or I mean I don't know you're the expert but like they care about themselves Mm -hmm. they think they are the center of the universe now where does it come from A, a couple of thoughts on that I tend to delve to what's the spiritual root of it well the spiritual root of it is pride control and manipulation and we all know that all three of those things come from the enemy of your soul but when when an individual is raised in an abusive environment mm-hmm. and they feel out of control, there is a greater likelihood that their personality will grow and develop in such a way that they will look for areas where they can gain control because when they were the abused, they had no control. 
So in a lot of situations with people who would be clinically diagnosed as narcissistic, if we could go back and look at their early childhood, there are some major woundings, major abuse, mother wounds, father wounds, lots of abusive situations. But God has told us in his word that no temptation will come to us that we cannot overcome with God's help. So the narcissist, can they control it? Yes. Is it difficult just like any other addictive behavior? Yes. Mm -hmm. But what makes the narcissist kind of in a different category is they don't think that there's any reason for them to change. So they're not motivated to change. In fact, you know, some of us are motivated by how badly we know we make God hurt when we sin against him. Yeah. That is not a motivation for the narcissist to change their behavior. In fact, narcissists tend to get extremely angry at God because they expect God to do something their way. And that's not how God works. So they get very angry with God for not doing it their way. Yeah. So going back to that entitlement. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. That's enough. I've definitely seen that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So they could choose to control these behaviors. They could choose to get help. They Mm -hmm. could choose to have accountability within the church, but by virtue of being a personality disorder and the nature of narcissism, they don't think they're doing anything wrong. So there's no motivation to change. And that's what makes relationships with them extremely painful. Wow. Wow. So, and, you know, I was just thinking about how God deals with us that he gives us choice. He doesn't force, he doesn't force us to change. And so really with a narcissist, if they don't have that self-reflection to begin with, um, that's where that difficulty comes in, where they're, you know, God can change anything and anyone. And, you know, when we come to him for help, but if you're not even going to take that first step, right there, there's no change. There's no, there's no change. And so, um, so that's what makes it so difficult. And I would think if you are involved in an intimate relationship, holding out for the hope that they will change is slim. Is it's it very not? slim? It's not impossible because we know God can change somebody, but in order for God to change someone, their heart has to be receptive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. You right. mentioned Pharaoh earlier. Well, how many times in scripture does it say that God fade, God hardened Pharaoh's heart because Pharaoh didn't have any interest in doing things God's way? Right. And that's a lot like the narcissist. They have to be open to hearing from the Holy Spirit and recognizing conviction and then repenting and turning from that and going God's way. 
It is very slim. It's very infrequent that you will see a significant change aside from a miraculous change with someone who has a narcissistic personality. Yeah. And so that's good for us, you know, to know, to have those expectations. Um, If you, if you're a fixer, (laughs) if you like putting on that Holy Spirit junior pin um, (laughs) that, you know, that if God, you know, is not going to um, force one to choose him um, that we, we certainly can't um, do it either. And that is not a failure on our end. Uh, You know, I think so many women feel if their marriage is like this, what did I do wrong? Or could I have, I don't know, dressed differently or, or whatever. And so then there's, there's shame over that too. Um, but so this is good that you're you're bringing this out. You know, this this is a difficult um, topic to discuss. Um, and and Michelle, I hope you write a book on it. <laughs> <laughs> you always choose the hard books for me to write. The Lord, y'all y'all know all of Michelle's books. You need to get them if you don't have them. But I mean. Yeah, God is like, hey, let's ask Michelle to write about this, <laughs> all the difficult topics. But but truly, I mean, I I I mean, I I I seriously mean that. I do hope that you write about this. But anyway, but only the Lord directs you what you write. So I'll be quiet. But <laughs> um, but but you know, it doesn't get talked about um enough. And and so I'm glad that we're talking about it here to to bring light to it. That's that's where God um, starts that, that healing process. And I think that's a lot of what you've given today is just the light on that and the clarity and the information, just so you can become aware of it. If you're in it, or if you see a friend in it, um, that helps to validate it. Um, so if a listener is listening today and resonates with what, she has heard and suspects that they're in a relationship, whether domestic, spiritual, um, that is narcissistic. What hope-filled perspective would you give them today? I would want to make sure that they know, first of all, this is not your fault. Mm -hmm. That person is accountable to God for their behavior. But Mm -hmm. you are accountable to listening to God for wisdom and guidance for how he wants to see you through this relationship. If you are in an abusive relationship, God does not, God does not want you being abused. He loves you so much and abuse flies in the face of everything that God stands for. Mm-hmm. But if you are seeking help and hope and healing, God will direct you to that. But if you are listening to the conversation today and you're resonating and you're thinking, oh my goodness, I think I've been a victim of domestic abuse or emotional abuse or abuse at the hand of a narcissist and you don't know where to turn, I would encourage you to text S-T-A-R-T, START, to the number 88788 or go to thehotline.org, thehotline.org as your place to start to get some help. You do not have to endure abuse at the hands of another. God loves you so much. 
he wants to bring help, hope, and healing to you. Amen. Amen. Well said. Well said. Amen and amen. Yes. Yes. So, well, this has been um, very insightful. Um, and I appreciate you coming on. And, um, well, I'm on your podcast, but hey, I was the interviewer, right? <laughs> and I'm glad that you came on. I think it makes normally, for a much more interesting conversation. <laughs> normally, yeah, you're you're interviewing, but but um, but I I just I just pray that this just light just continues to multiply. Um, and because God does not condone uh, uh, um, abuse um, of any kind because free will is that gift that he's given us so that we can surrender it to him in any relationship where there's that control going on. I don't care if they're an elder or a pastor or whatever title they have or president of this company. <laughs> that is not a leader um, uh, to, to bow down to. We know that Jesus washed feet, um, which is servanthood. And that was how he led. He um, And you know, which was so foreign to those um, disciples who had had Romans that were controlling through taxes and all of that. But that's, God says, this is true leadership. Um, and the world says it's shiny, right? Successful, just in all the ways that you mentioned. And it can be church success. You um, know, I would leave you with or, if If you are resonating and recognizing, oh my goodness, I have someone like this in my life. And it has made it difficult for you to know who to trust. Can I just assure you that you will never go wrong by putting your full trust and belief in Jesus Christ. He will not steer you the wrong direction. So even when you feel like, I, I don't I don't know how to pick up on this in other people. I What if I get in another relationship like this? Or, you know, what if family and friends didn't support you because they believed the abuser? You still cannot go wrong by putting your full faith and trust in Jesus. Amen. I love that. I love that. That's a great note to end on. A great note to end Thank on. you for joining me. I'm so glad you were with me today. Friends, if something in this podcast has encouraged you, or you know someone who may be the one in three women who is involved in a domestic abuse situation, would you consider sharing this podcast with them to help them? And while you're at it, I want you to go to Treasured Ministries, look them up online because they have tons of resources that you want to avail yourself of. It's been a great episode. I'm glad that we tackled a difficult topic because we need to have more conversations about this. But that's going to be the end of our program today. Until we meet next week, my prayer is that you have a hope-filled week.